This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Ah, good morning, Dharma brothers and sisters. Good to see everybody here. I have all my devices here in front of me. My Dharma talks on an iPad, the chants are on my iPhone, and now I have to uh, get things together. Woo, woo, we had a wonderful session that ended on Wednesday night. You already heard about one of the disasters, but actually the recovery from the disaster was uh, was kind of sweet. We all, uh, the five of us in the Zendo all exiled ourselves to the upstairs uh, classroom where we had a, a nice little filled up Zendo. And uh, although I sort of was really worried about coming in that day, I felt really bad for Bruce who really had to worry about this through the night. But we got it together and our session continued to a, a fairly normal ending. Anyway, we were uh, the subject was uh, Dogen's fascicle on, um, on dreaming called Within a Dream, Expressing the Dream. So uh, I've been um, you know, very uh, absorbed in the word dream lately, which kind of explains my choice of uh, Dharma talk. I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, now that the session's over and uh, and, and like it, and like all sessions, it, it seems like a dream that even happened, which I think is kind of uh, paradoxical since I feel like probably during sessions you're in a little bit less of a dream than you normally are, but now back to real life, it feels like things are solid and uh, yeah, what a, what a contradiction in, in the way things really are. Today I was gonna I'm gonna talk and like I said I was uh, I, I I chose this subject because it had the word dream in it and it was kind of a misconception actually that I chose it but I, I realized my misconception and uh, emailed with Kokyo last night just to confirm and he was an enormous help so thank you so much Kokyo for getting back to me and kind of uh, keeping me from <laughs> saying things that would <laughs> confuse people. Anyway, so uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Joko Beck's poem, Caught in the Self-Centered Dream, Only Suffering. Um, I'll read it. It's not long. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Is, is everybody familiar with this? I feel like it's not, not so it's new to some people. This is uh, Joko's, I don't know what to, call it, what to call it, her take or her explication or her transformation of the Four Noble Truths. And I've always loved this. I don't know how you feel, well, that's not the right question, but um, I didn't know the Four Noble Truths for a long time. I knew that the Four Noble Truths were Buddha's incredibly great 
uh, gift to us. That's what he worked on. He worked on he, what he did. He did everything to try to find out this, well, the nature of suffering. And was there a way we could, as human beings, that we could escape, that we could transcend suffering? And, and he did it. And the Four Noble Truths is his, his um, you know, his record of that or his uh, path. But when, I, I don't know about you, but when you hear the Four Noble Truths, it's a bit of a disappointment. It sounds dry. It sounds uh, not real clear. Uh, it's uh, just um, not, it's in that Hinayana tradition, and uh, it's not real, for me at least, inspiring to, to hear the Four Noble Truths uh, stated the way the, the, the Buddha knew them and the way they were uh, talked about in his, his time. And I'm sure that in the Mahayana tradition, there are many, many teachers that have written wonderful explications of the Four Noble Truths. And I'm, I'm just not familiar with them, but I do know Jokos and, uh, and, I, and I love it. And I feel like it, it, it really, really speaks to my, my heart. So just going through the Four Noble Truths as a review for most of you. The first truth is uh, dukkha, the, the Pali word dukkha, which means uh, suffering. So the first truth is there is suffering, that there's an innate characteristic of suffering. And the, the second one is samadaya, which is um, the way we hold this suffering close to ourselves, the way we as individuals suffer. Um, because of attachment and, and craving to ourselves. Um, the third one is uh, naroda or uh, cessation. There is a cessation, there is a, a path to cessation for, of suffering. And of course, the fourth one is, is the path, the uh, eightfold path. So, kind of dry ends with this Eightfold Noble, noble eightfold Path, which sounds like a big self-improvement uh, deal with um, eight things you're supposed to do right. And uh, so I would like to just go over uh, uh, Joko's poem and uh, the four lines of it and the first one, which represents dukkha or suffering, caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear. We understand from those uh, those uh, short sentences what what is suffering? What is it? Caught in the self-centered dream. Why is it a dream? Well, it's it's a delusion. We we are we hold ourselves as the center of the universe. Yes, we all do that, even though we don't know it. We hold ourselves as the center of the world. And um, we can't help it. We can't help it. It's not anybody's fault. It doesn't mean you're a self-centered person. It's just human nature. Um, the second one, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. So holding on to this, this feeling and, and really being attached to the, the, our self-centered world and 
and totally believing in it, that that is where we really begin to suffer. Uh, the third one, which is again, uh, the uh, a cessation of suffering is possible. Each moment, is this a joke? Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. So life as it is, the reality of the moment, our true nature, being with our true nature, each moment. That's our, our way out. And the fourth one, instead of even mentioning the Noble Eightfold Path, Joko says, being just this moment, compassion's way. So that's this transformation from the Hinayana to the Mahayana, where now the most important thing is saving all beings and uh, compassion, love. Love is all there is. So simple. She ends with the idea of compassion. Well, we still study, of course, the Noble Eightfold Path. It's still important. And actually, it is the same thing. It's just a little more uh, school marmish way, I guess, of, of presenting it. So, um, so mostly what I want to talk about today is the self-centered dream and the, the, really the first two of, of these. And a little bit about uh, Joko Beck. Does everybody know who Joko Beck is? She is the, she is Peg Cyberson's teacher from San Diego. And so she is kind of the guiding force behind Afamata. She died in 2011. She had four children. She was a pianist. The interesting thing is that her, um, her style of teaching and her center in San Diego is interesting in that it, it's uh, well known for kind of uh, marrying psychology and, and Zen practice. And a lot of her uh, students and her uh, high level students, especially were psychologists. So uh, I read a little, there's a, a little blurb that I read that I thought was helpful. Uh, the late Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Joko Beck and her Dharma heirs adapted elements of the Vipassana tradition a relentless inquiry into the contours of the human mind as unambiguous Zen discipline. Her school was among the first Zen communities to consciously engage the emotional life and the shadows of the human mind as Zen practice. So this way of practicing Zen is a way that really, really appeals to me. Uh, really digging into what my mind is doing to me and what my do mind is doing to make me miserable. Uh, so the, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about uh, more than anything else. So uh, our small-minded existence is, is illusory, illusory because it places ourself at the, the, at the center of the universe. And um, like I said before, it's not our fault. This is not a, a not a criticism of, of, of human beings. It's, it's kind of a gift, I think, actually. Uh, if we didn't have, have to worry about ourselves, if we didn't have to uh, uh, constantly be looking out for ourselves, well, we might die. I mean, that that's just the, the facts of it. And, you know, our, our bodies aren't are somewhat fragile. 
and uh, and easily uh, destroyed. And um, so there we are. And so this very thing that keeps us going and keeps our bodies alive, keeps our bodies and minds together, is the very thing that causes us so much. So it can cause us so much suffering. If we when we get to the second step, holding to these self-centered thoughts, uh, and just truly believing them and not uh, not being able to get out of that that mode uh, is is a real source of, of our suffering. So we are looking at the world through a teeny tiny little window of our little sense window of our uh, our our mind, our thoughts, our what we see, what we hear. Just this little tiny thing's bigger than a point, since a point is nothing really, but it's a little bigger than that. But we look through this and we look out at the world and we project this little view out as far as we can see, so that all there is is this view. Uh, our, our personal view, our personal view of the world, which is colored and um, you know, it's all based on our experiences and our prejudices and our education and our, you know, every, everything that's been um, thrown at us since we were born. It's all the little seeds in our Alaya consciousness, or our, no, our Alaya storehouse, not consciousness, our Alaya storehouse. Um, so we, we see this in we, it's very easy to think that this is all there is. And I think there are many people that go through life really never really escaping this uh, projected view of the world. We basically, we create our world. We create um, um, the world we live in. And for many of us, it's not always a happy world. Uh, we bring uh, a lot of misery on ourselves. If we think that everything we see is all there is, then we're really, really cheating ourselves. And I have to say, it amazes me. I, I was introduced to Zen when I was 42 and it just fell out of the sky on me. I had no idea anything like that existed. I had no idea uh, that something like that that could help me uh, was, uh, that there was something like that. And because I didn't know about it, uh, in my particular little hellhole of existence, I if, I if I didn't know about it, it didn't exist. Well, how arrogant is that? Of course, I didn't think of myself as arrogant, but if I didn't know about it, it didn't exist. It just simply didn't exist. Unfortunately, I kind of got dragged into the practice. I got taken by a friend to a whole weekend of meditation before I even knew what was going on. And so I got a taste of it and, um, and was able to, uh, oh, all right, yeah, this can really help me. Actually, I didn't really think it could help me in my intellectual mind, but some other part of me knew it could help me and made me sit down and, and practice, even though I didn't will it to happen that way. It was a very odd, it was a very odd start to Zen practice. Uh, and uh, I've never, I've never looked back uh, since then. But anyway, that, you know, I'm so glad that then I got, I got dragged into it like that. Uh, 
So we swim, we swim in our conditioning. And it's like a, a fish in, in water. Don't, you don't know where the edges of the water are. You just, that's all there is, is, the, is, your, is our conditioning. Or it can be like that. But one of the things that I find most helpful in understanding what's going on is to see how I project myself onto other people. And that is just endlessly fascinating to me. And I, I, keep, uh, I keep doing it. But I guess I get a little better at seeing that I'm doing it sometimes even before, uh, before I generate uh, thoughts about other people. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk about uh, projection a little bit. And um, I looked up uh, psychological projection on the web. Most of my scholarly knowledge I get by Googling things. Um, and it's somewhat different. It's talked about in a different way. I don't think basically it's not different, but uh, psychologists kind of talk about projections as things that happen to you sometimes, you know, and because most of the time when someone would talk to a psychologist about uh, a projection problem, some problem that's really uh, uh, damaging their life, for, for instance, a, a, a wife who has uh, is attracted to somebody at her job, then starts to suspect that her husband is going to be unfaithful or is unfaithful to her based on her own, what's happening with her, projecting it onto her husband, and then, you know, has, needs some, some help talking about it. And so those, uh, so uh, psychological uh, projection is talked about something that comes and goes, and sometimes you have these projections. But I actually don't, I think, it, in reality, I think we always have these projections. I think they're always with us. And we're always, we, we, I mean, we can, we can step back from it, but, and that's what our practice is all about. But naturally, these projections are there. And um, we're always seeing people as uh, uh, thinking pretty much the same way we do and having our same, our same uh, standards and, and that kind of thing. And um, judgments are a big thing with me. I've been, uh, I've had trouble with being a judging person a lot of my life. And uh, of course, if you're going to judge, if you judge, then what are people doing to you? You're projecting your judgments, and so everybody's judging, judging me. Uh, and I, I can see myself thinking I'm being judged by people, even though there's no evidence of it. It's just something I, I, uh, I create in my own mind. I'm judging, so I must be judged. And uh, so this is a, a, an incredible kind of misery that I have to live with, of feeling guilty that, that uh, I'm being judged, and, uh, but I'm making it all up. It's not, it's not real. It's... Uh, it's my little mind. Uh, it's like a, it's like a big house of mirrors, you know. You're sending out these projections, and then they're coming back at you, and it's and bing, 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 bing. Uh, and there's a lot going on in there, and and it's just a, a big misery generator. I project uh, my uh, my emotions on other people, uh, 
And that's a very interesting thing. I, uh, when my ex and I split up, uh, I, I was very sad and I projected all this sadness on him. Uh, I, I mean, we're still friends and we still have uh, uh, fairly regular contact with each other. And so I know, I, I can see now that I don't think he was ever nearly as sad as I was but I projected all my sadness on him. And then I felt terrible for him. Why? I don't know why I did that. Why, why didn't I see it was my own sadness? I, I kind of did see it was my own sadness, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel bad for myself. I just felt so bad for him. And that was harder. That was more painful. If, if, if I could have just looked at my own sadness, I, I think I could have it, it wouldn't have been so unbearable. But when someone else, when you think someone else is suffering and you project what that suffering might be, I don't know about you, but it seems worse. It seems more difficult. So, um, you know, that's another kind of um, um, way that we, that I make myself, make, make myself miserable. Dislike. Oh, wow. Dislike that. Oh, man, that is a real house of mirrors. You know, I, I, I've had many um, barriers that seem to be put up because I think somebody doesn't like me. And in most all of the cases where I think somebody doesn't like me, I don't even know for sure sometimes that they don't like me. I just assume they don't like me. Nearly all of those kind of cases are situations where I realized that I don't like them. And I started it. Well, naturally, if they can feel that I don't like them, they're not going to like me very much. That's true. They may not even know I don't like them, and they may not dislike me. But I've got this. I've got this. Um, um, this thing going, and it is a bing, 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 bing situation going on in my head. Just oh my goodness, it's it's really hellish. And uh, I, I think over the years I've I've learned uh, about that, and I've sometimes can stop the the dislike before it even starts. Um, I'm sure there's people that just don't like me because they just don't like me, not because of anything I do or anything I think, but they're kind of off my radar. You know, they don't hang out with me and I don't, you know, it's, they're, they're not a problem. But the ones that are really painful are the ones that where I have generated dislike myself. So it's like you're getting a lot of pain two ways. First of all, uh, the pain of disliking somebody, which is incredibly, uh, well, use the same word incredibly painful it, it is it, it's really it doesn't seem like it you know you start to dislike and you it's sort of a, a lot of, sometimes it's a kind of a revenge kind of thing well you're a crummy person and i'm going to get back at you by not liking you you know and it feels a little good you know kind of feels powerful like i have some power over you i cannot like you you know and it starts out that way and then uh but it, it really, really turns. It really turns on you and stabs you in the heart. And uh, you've created another, another uh, barrier, another hindrance towards uh, your own happiness by separating yourself from someone that, that you've set up. I hope I'm not revealing too much about myself here. That <laughs> um, and and uh, 
but the, I guess I wish I could say all of this was in the past, and a lot of it is, but you know, it, it still happens. I won't, I won't deny that. And um, uh, I guess it keeps me having something to work on uh, to, uh, to see this, this incredible misery that I can cause myself. And I think that we can all uh, cause ourselves, or that we probably all do cause ourselves. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about it, though, is that when you really see what you're doing, you realize you have all kinds of control. You have, you have the ability to, um, to work with this, you know, you're not, you're not at the, uh, you're not being attacked by others. You're doing it to yourself. So, you know, it seems like, it seems like if we can be so, uh, you know, if we are making up our own life, if we are making up our own world, why can't we just make up a happy world? And I think we can make up a happy world. But if we are too much attached to the happy world that we make up, then it's pretty scary because we can see the we can see that the um, ledge that we're we're standing on is kind of wobbly, and we can look through the cracks in the in the platform that we're standing on, and we can see how far down it is to fall. So it can be this happy life can can become uh, a burden and, and scary uh, because it can end. But what if we can create a happy world and not be so attached to it? What if we can create a happy world for ourselves and uh, and step back from it and and see what see what we're doing? We are creating uh, an image of ourselves as a uh, useful, functioning, connected person. But we can also know that in any moment we can fall into retrospective hesitation. We can we can have down times, and um, and if we can let go of being so attached to the happy world we create, then we, you know, really can. Um, bring uh, happiness to ourselves and to others but it all has to do with how we how we see uh, what we're doing and um, you know we can believe that we're a very smart uh, respectable combined person but we always know that we're going to have times when that won't be true. We'll, we'll be, um, circumstances will bring out something different in us. And, and that's okay, you know, we just come back to, it's like we come back to our breath, we'll come back to our, our uh, equilibrium when that, when that happens. And so, that, that's kind of the third noble truth that that's our way out of, of suffering and how can we how can we do that through our practice well we sit on our cushions and we follow our breath follow our um, sensations in our body and we bring our attention outside of our of our mind outside of our head 
and step back and see, kind of look at what's going on uh, from, from the outside. One of the interesting things that Tokyo talked about uh, during the five-day retreat was uh, lucid dreaming, which uh, I don't know much about. And I'm really, really interested in it because lucid dreaming is um, being able to see when you're actually having a night dream that you are actually in a dream. And uh, of course, when you're in a dream, uh, everything is you. It's much more obvious that everything is you. And so if you can see that you're in a dream and you can see that everything is you, uh, that you, you pick up a glass of, of water in the dream and that's you, the, the other people in your dream are all you. If you can see that, that's got to be so clarifying and so helpful with this problem, with this issue of being able to step back from uh, being able to just realize when we're, when we're uh, projecting ourselves on everything, because we can see in a dream that, yeah, everything really is us. And that's just like this self-centered dream that, that we're in that we don't, that we, it's much, much harder to see that happening because things seem so real. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested in following up on Lutz of Dreaming. I already listened to one of Andrew Holacek's uh, short talks. He's the guru. Uh, and uh, I, I'm interested in pursuing that. I think it will be uh, quite an experience. Uh, I'll just uh, finish up by the other two uh, for the last two of the Four Noble Truths, uh, which Joko says, here's the third one, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Here's a quote from Joko about that. Life always gives us exactly the teacher we need at every moment. This includes every mosquito, every misfortune, every red light, every traffic jam, every obnoxious supervisor or employee, every illness, every loss, every moment of joy or depression, every addiction, every piece of garbage, every breath, every moment is the guru. And the last one is being just this moment, compassion's way, ending, ending with compassion. Practice can be stated very simply. It is moving from a life of hurting myself and others to a life of not hurting myself and others. That seems so simple, except when we substitute for real practice some idea that we should be different or better than we are, or that our lives should be different from the way they are. When we substitute our ideas about what should be, such notions as I should not be angry or confused or unwilling for our life as it truly is, then we're off base and our practice is barren. Thank you all so much for being here. So I'm off to Tassajara next week. I got a new robe. Uh, this robe was made in Russia, which is neat because, you know, like over half my life, you know, Russia was uh, a bad place, just a big empty hole on the map, you know, uh, full of communists and, you know, uh, and uh, a big cipher for me. And now I'm wearing a, a Buddhist robe that was made by a monk in Russia. <laughs> So, so does anybody have any uh, comments or uh, or revelations from their own uh, suffering? <laughs> I'd love to hear them. 
Oh, let's see. Uh, I think I've got most people on here. I see uh, Maureen. Hey, hey, Pat. Um, thank you for your talk. It, I'm going to show you this card. I don't know if you can see it if I put it up, but it's actually exactly what you read. Um, it's oh, something uh -huh. I got, you know, from Flint and Peg back in the day, and I just love it. And uh, I actually pulled it out last weekend during Kokio's, um, you know, stuff. And um, so it's just so cool to see that you talked about this. So, you oh, know, good. yeah, it's so cool. Um, but I wanted to say um, a couple things. You know, it's great because you, you know, you were wondering, do I share too much about me? And for me, it's great because I have many of the same, you know, things going on in my head that you talk about. And um, it's, you know, when I hear somebody who seems like they're perfect, they've always been perfect. And this is the Dharma way. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, so you, you know, you you are a saint. You've always been a saint. You have nothing to tell me, you know. So <laughs> for me, when you share your truth, right, I'm like, yes, that's just like me. If Pat can do it, maybe I can do it, you know. So, so it's better. We're doing it together. <laughs> oh, you know. Anyway, but anyway, so I just wanted to let you know that I really appreciate that because I'm like, yes, I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> and so to think that maybe there's some relief from the hellscape, you know, as you describe it is, is very helpful. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say, except for I, I'm so thrilled that you're going to Tassajar and I hope you have a, a really lovely time there. And I'll, I'll miss having your talks here in uh, Austin. Thanks, Maureen. I was enjoyed seeing you on the screen during the session. Hey, Pat, this Where? is Dave here. Oh, Dave, hi. I'm sorry if I'm jumping in or I don't know if we're raising hands. Oh, no, I just jumped is, in. You're invited to jump in. That's okay. the point. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Pat, you, you, I just want to also comment on you asking if you're revealing too much. I wrote a comment in the words, uh, in the, the chat about um, oh. revealing that you're human, of course. Um, and I would also say, though, in, in terms of um, things we've talked about in our in our in our Dharma discussions, um, you know, um, I, I think about you know all the projections and the judgments and the you thinking about what you're sending out and how it's coming back to you and the house of mirrors and all of that. And I mean, yeah, I think everyone experiences that. I would say I also think about. Um, times when I've really existed um, in my, in the delusion of my privilege as a white male and what I was sending out um, and getting back. And I'm grateful that I'm learning more about that. And I think I'm existing less in that space, but certainly that is some of my karma. <laughs> um, and so when I hear you talking about your, um, Am I revealing too much? I, I would just say, please, please know um, someone else has, has done all those things um, amplified considerably. <laughs> uh, and so I'm grateful for our, our talks and, and learning about, about these things and um, also learning that I'm not alone. Um, I also wanted to mention um, how much I appreciate the connection between your talk this week and Kyoko's talk last week. And Clearly, there's been a lot of um, the, the sashin was very fruitful for the Sangha. So thank you for sharing that with us. And it has really, I will tell you um, that since Kyoko's conversation last week and now this, I have really just been thinking so much about 
like I have this incredible freedom to think about what is this world that I'm creating. If I am creating my world, and if my world is equivalent to a dream in some degree, and I'm creating that, what is it that I'm creating? And it has given me this, like, I feel like I have a choice that I ne- was almost never aware of. Like, I, I oh, yeah, I can choose this. <laughs> I am creating this. Um, and that has just been wonderful um, and just given me so much to think about, but also um, in some ways it's uh, freeing. It's You would think it's a burden or like a responsibility of like, I have to choose this, but it also it's been freeing. It's like, oh, I get to choose this. I get to create this. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't know, there's just lots in there for me. Um, so I just thank you both for the, the last two weeks and, and how you're reinforcing each other and building on it. And again, so, so grateful that, um, that the, the benefits of the Sashin are, are spreading out to the Sangha. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Surely you have your little yellow hand up there. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I just wanted to share something that a few weeks ago when I, uh, we've been chatting, we've been, uh, I've been taking advantage of her time and did some zazen with her some of the Mondays when we didn't have some uh, together last year. But then a few weeks ago, the first time when I met her, she's like, she appeared like an angel to me. <laughs> I invited her at my place. We we had some uh, cooking together and eating, but the first time it's like she looked like an she was so beautiful. <laughs> she like an angel came to my place. Uh, just wanted to share that. I appreciate getting to know and doing jazen uh, with you all of you. And I just wanted to share that <laughs> she looked like an angel to me. <laughs> Shui, are you talking about me? Yes. I look like an Indian to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean like a, you have yeah. you, know, <laughs> oh, you look oh, so okay. cute and then you just appeared and it's like, she's so cute. Oh, <laughs> in life. I think Indian people are so beautiful. So thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> Good to see you here. I know you've been traveling. Well, okay. Everybody happy or not? Not. <laughs> um, pa, can I can I ask you what book? Oh, you had your hand up. I thought you were waving. Yes, uh, I can wave too. But um, what what book was that? Chocobeck, You were talking about the third and the fourth noble truth, and you quoted I think from Chocobeck, And I was just curious about what what book that was of hers. Oh, I don't know. Actually, those were quotes from her that I found on the web. But you know, she took, wrote two wonderful books. And she wrote more, but the two I love are Ordinary Mind and uh, Nothing Special. And those are some real, some really gorgeous books. Um, and I don't know. Uh, yeah, I wish I, I can. Uh, no worries. No worries. Okay, I don't know where these quotes came from. Actually, just look up, uh, look her up on the internet. You'll find them. I think okay. they are beautiful quotes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Well, I don't see any any hands, and uh, so um, it, again, it it was wonderful to be here. I'm going to miss you guys for the next three months. 
but I know it go, will go very fast, and uh, I'll see you all in, in December. And maybe, hopefully, I'll see you next Saturday in person. That would be really, would really be nice. So. Yes, I wanted to remind people to please sign up if you plan to be there on Saturday because we are cooking and we need to know uh, an accurate head count for how many people will be there so we don't make too little or too much, just enough. Um, all right, thank you very much, Pat. And I think we are going to go forward with uh, breakout rooms. We haven't done this in a while. We've been away for interim and then we had our uh, Sashin last week and a conversation cafe the week before. So it's been a while since we've had breakout rooms. The way this works, in case you've forgotten, or if, if this is the first time you've been here, if you would like to stay on and join a breakout room, you will be assigned randomly to a group of a small group. This is uh, designed to be a replacement to our usual, our no longer usual tea and cookies after a Dharma talk where we get to catch up with one another. So if you would like to stay in a, uh, have a chance to just check in, you don't need to, there's no obligation to stay other than, you know, just pop in and say hello. Um, but we will, um, you'll be invited in just a moment. All right, thank you all very much. And I hope to see you next Saturday for our uh, workday lunch welcome event. Thank you.